African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you. You're listening to us on shortwave on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802. And you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at a very interesting story. This is the day when Nelson Mandela actually passed away. So today we're going to be speaking to veterans, members of the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Also, he has a, a new hospital, the Nelson Mandela Children's uh, uh, Hospital. So we'll be looking at that. But before we get into that story, let's get our news from Anmusa. In the headlines, Lesotho's Democratic Congress suspends its deputy leader, nine other members of the National Executive Committee. South Africa's president called on South Africans to unite and work together to build the country regardless of political affiliations and tougher penalties for female genital mutilation in Egypt. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Lesotho's Prime Minister Pagadita Musasidi's Democratic Congress has suspended its deputy leader, Munya Nemuleleki, and nine other members of the National Executive Committee. This after the High Court ruled that the leader had the power to call a special conference. The conference held at the weekend also elected new members of the National Executive Committee and barred the so-called rebels from being the party's candidates in any elections. Musasidi says he will not resign. He says, how can Mr. Maleliki sell us out to Tabani? He wants to make us underdogs in a coalition led by Tabani. He says they have been suspended and they are no longer members of the National Executive Committee and they will not be allowed to stand for elections under the D.C. banner indefinitely. Musisidi admits the Democratic Congress is wounded following this latest conflict. With just 48 hours left before voters in Ghana head to the polls, the country's main opposition presidential candidate, Nana Akufo-Addo, told his supporters that he will turn around the country's economy, create jobs and end corruption. The National Patriotic Party's presidential contender told thousands of supporters during his final campaign rally in the capital, Accra, ahead of the general elections on Wednesday, that Ghana was ready for another leader. He faces incumbent President John Mahama. Sarah Kimani reports. A sea of white, blue and red. The NPP party colors filled the better part of a crown Sunday as the main opposition contender brought his message of change to the capital just three days to the polls. Akufo Ado, a former minister and retired President John Kufo's government, is making a third attempt at the presidency. 
Retired President Kufuor was at the rally on Sunday, pleading with the voters to support Takufo Adu. The trained lawyer has lost twice to incumbent President John Mahama, his main challenger during Wednesday's elections. This year, his party is betting on voter discontent over high inflation, frequent electricity cuts and corruption under President Mahama to hand him a win. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has called on the nation to unite and work together to build the country regardless of political affiliations. Marking the third anniversary of former President Nelson Mandela's death, Zuma says South Africans should follow the values of love and respect that Madiba stood for. President's spokesperson Bongani Ngulunga. President Zuma said this morning, President Mandela taught us to unite and to love and respect one another as South Africans. He also taught us to build friendly relations with our neighbors and the international community as a whole. And so today, on the adversary of Madiba's said passing, President Zuma wants all South Africans to recommit ourselves to unity and to working together to build our country, regardless of whatever political differences we may have. An amended law that toughens penalties for female genital mutilation to up to 15 years in jail has come into effect. Egypt's health ministry says officials will monitor and oversee clinics and private hospitals to enforce the anti-FGM law that came into effect last Tuesday. The procedure common in some parts of African of the African continent is practiced by both Muslims and Christians in Egypt. Under the new law, those convicted of of carrying out female circumcision can now be jailed for between five and seven years for three months and two years under the former law. And finally, the deaths of 73 newborns in southern Libya over a two-month period this year has sparked the concern of the World Health Organization. Libya has been plagued by conflict and instability since the fall of Muammar Gaddafi five years ago. WHO says the babies died due to the country's deteriorating health system. TNPN reports. WHO representative in Libya, Dr. Saeed Jafar Hussein, said their deaths could easily have been prevented if the health system were able to provide proper services such as antenatal care. 22 of the newborns died due to intrauterine complications, while 18 suffered birth asphyxia or being unable to breathe. 20 more deaths were the result of premature labor or neonatal sepsis caused by infection, while the remaining babies succumbed to congenital anomalies, also known as birth defects. All of the deaths occurred between July and August of this year. Recapping the top stories, Lesotho's Democratic Congress suspends its deputy leader and nine other members of the National Executive Committee. South Africa's president called on South Africans to unite and work together to build the country regardless of political affiliations and tougher penalties for female genital mutilation in Egypt.
Well, that's all the sounds of um, Brenda Fassi, and that one is titled uh, My Black President, and we know that one was an ode to Nelson Mandela. And today we're paying a recognition to Nelson Mandela himself, and uh, because this was the day that he did pass away, the first president of South Africa in the new dispensation, uh, actually the first black president as well of uh, uh, South Africa. And uh, today we're going to uh, try to find ways to really find what did this man actually mean for South Africa, find out a little bit about his life and what he meant uh, to uh, South Africa and the rest of the world. But uh, to start off this conversation with us, uh, on the line we've got a man that uh, was with him uh, during the times of the struggles and uh, that is uh, Commissar Titi uh, Cholo who's joining us on the line and uh, he was uh, uh, part of uh, the uh, the struggle and knew uh, Nelson Mandela very well and he has us on the line right now and uh, we're going to try see if we can uh, connect with him uh, this is Mr. Tlo with the Pilis Cholo who was uh, really much also part of the anti-apartheid uh, struggle and knew Nelson Mandela very well. Dr. Cholo can you hear me there? I do. I, I do. I'm, I'm listening to you. Now, Dr. Cholo, tell us a little bit about uh, your encounter with uh, Nelson Mandela. I know that you are very much in, very much involved in the struggle within the ANC, and uh, you were elected Deputy Secretary of the ANC Central Bank. You are part of the ANC Youth League. You're actually also part of being a chairperson of uh, uh, the ANC Youth League structures. When was the first time that you encountered Nelson Mandela? Well, the first time I'm <coughs> I encountered Comrade Nelson Mandela, it was very early, or it was the middle of 1950s. Mm. Um, the the indelible mark that I would like to share with you is the the time that. Mandela and his colleagues have led defined campaign in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is a really a cornerstone of the time that I have met him um, when they were organizing the defined campaigns. So can you please tell us a little bit about... Uh what was your first impression when you met Nelson Mandela? What kind of personality was he? Well, he was, he was the man of the, of the people of South Africa, and later on, I think, he became the man of the international uh, communities. Um, the style mm-hmm. of his work, now, I, 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 I seem to be convinced that, now he... Each time when he takes a decision, is the decision of the people. He consulted very largely uh, in the community, particularly in the ANC structures. Mm. Um, he was he was not alone in the circle. He knew very well that no, uh, being a, a single Nelson Mandela, uh, he can't do anything. Uh, tangible or which uh, it will be recognized. He he believes in consultation. In so far, as far as I know him. 
Studio, can you... Go ahead. Hello. I'm here. I'm here in Tatechulo. So let's uh, look at the fact that um, Nelson Mandela, during the struggle times, it's very interesting to see the fact that uh, he actually moved up of the ranks and uh, was part of very much of being put in the leadership positions and almost like the face of the struggle during that particular time. What were the thoughts of the people around Nelson Mandela when they saw his leadership actually being unpacked or unveiled and actually in front of everybody? What were the impressions that people had of him? Well, I think Mandela had made his history, not the history of himself alone, it was the history of the people of South Africa because he, he has led to the history of uh, I'm the people of South Africa in the struggle of liberation. Um, he should be remembered during his leadership of the um, Youth League, the ANC Youth League, which was formed in 1949, uh, which it became known in 1949. And of course, uh, the whole, his life was much involved in the organization of the African National Congress. Mm, mm. And uh, he should be all remembered the, the, the speech that he made in 1961 in Peter Marisbeck uh, at, at the all in conference, mm. that is uh, the headache you know, of uh, the conference that has been organized in Peter Marestek. But that conference, mm. because I was also a member of the Youth League, mm. and I was the chairperson of the Youth League as well at the same mm. time, mm. Um, uh, he made a very inciting and interesting speech because he was still under banning. I think it was only a few days that he left at the banning. And the regime did not, they forgot that no, his banning is, is ending. Mm. It's very soon ending. Mm. Then he, he made a very encouraging speech, particularly for us, he was still very young, mm. among the, the youth league. Mm. Then from there he disappeared. Mm. Uh, we did not know what, what happened to him, but... Later on, we have learned that now he has gone outside to go and look for a places in the then um, independence of Africa. Mm. And uh, he did, I think, went around in Africa trying to get a place mm. where the volunteers of the African nations would be sent to go and train. Mm. And for me, that one, it was, really, it was a pillar. It was a pillar of that age, that time, mm. because this liberation of the people of South Africa needs the people of his, his kind. Mm. Now, you also were, I'm not sure if I've got my facts correctly here in Tate Cholo. I know that you were also in Robben Island with him. Am I right to say that? I'm just asking, were you also in Robben Island with him, with Nelson Mandela? Oh, yes. Mm, mm. Tell us a little bit about that experience. 
Well, I, I, as I said, I, 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 I met him specially during the that, that, that during the fifties. Mm. Then, of course, after he disappeared, uh, I met again when I was also sent outside to go and train. I was given a, a message to meet him uh, on the way coming home, and I, I did. I managed. I succeeded to do that. I lived with him for a, at least for four days between the then Tanganyika, which is now Tanzania, and of course in the territory of the northern Rhodesia, the then northern Rhodesia, which is now Zambia. And you know, he gave me, he gave, well, he gave me a courage, very much courage when I was giving for a, a training, trade unionism mm, in the mm. Soviet Union mm. or the then Soviet Union. And of course, that was not the end of meeting him there. Unfortunately, our unit, which was supposed to come and operate home after training from mm, mm. Soviet Union and China, um, were captured, you know. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to say anything because I've got a book which you learn more. Mm. There is something about which I said that about Nelson Mandela there. I've got a book, mm. but the, the name of the book is that heading the call mm. to to fight for a fatherland. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you, sir. I hope that... Uh, I was wishing that we could speak to you a little bit more, but uh, we have to move on. But uh, you gave us a very much significant uh, reflection of Nelson Mandela, especially as uh, a veteran yourself who was very much involved in the anti-apartheid movement. Uh, We were speaking to Tlou Theolopoulos Cholo, who was involved in the anti-apartheid struggle. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Cholo, for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Well, uh, that's how we wrap it up. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation of honoring Nelson Mandela. We'll see if uh, we can really get, uh, uh, really also taking things to the future right now. Uh, when you think about uh, the Nelson Mandela launch of the hospital, the children's hospital that was recently um, launched, actually last week Friday, we'll speak to, uh, you know, how do you take that legacy forward? And I think uh, the social uh, aspects of things that are taking place in the name of Nelson Mandela are also elements to reflect on how his life has actually been advanced in terms of his legacy. It's 11.23 Central African time. You're listening to African Dialogue. And let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. Change your game. game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 
1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. That's Johnny Clegg there with Asim Bonanga. Uh, today, we're paying tribute to the spirit of Nelson Mandela. We're taking things uh, from actually the time of uh, the anti-apartheid movement. And just as we just spoke to Clothio Pillas Cholo, who was the big veteran, one of the big veterans during that particular time, as he was also the NC Youth Chief, uh, Youth League chairperson, and also had uh, many encounters, as we heard in Exile in Robben Island with Nelson Mandela. But right now we're taking things a little bit forward. We're speaking to the chair of the Silo, uh, of the Nelson Mandela Foundation, that's Silo Hatang, who's joining us on the line. And we just want to speak to you, Silo, on just uh, the legacy that Nelson Mandela has actually left. We know that it's pioneered by the Nelson Mandela Foundation itself. But let's just reflect just quickly in five minutes or so, and uh, Dr. Silo, in terms of what does Nelson Mandela's identity 
identity mean today, especially post his death? Uh, we know today is that day where we remember his passing. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, let me correct that. Uh, uh, Prof. Njabulon Debele is the chairman. I'm the CEO. So, so I apologize for promoted, that. So. You just promoted me. Um, <laughs> I apologize for that. Nelson <laughs> um, the, 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 the Mandela's identity and uh, his legacy for us today is one that is always being looked into um, that needs further interrogation, that needs to live beyond um, just us saying he was a good man, that we all then uh, uh, try to look at it, it at its complexity. In other words, that we, we not just look at, um, at his legacy as that one of just the old man, um, who was huggy, who was uh, mm, mm, uh, mm. Uh, just the teddy bear, but to always just look at uh, Madiba's legacy as, as a, a man who, who was willing to sacrifice himself, um, go to prison. That's why we're marking the anniversary of uh, the treason trial, mm. where uh, the, after the Congress of the People had happened in, in Cape Town, the, the, uh, the, the apartheid government then souped on all those leaders um, to try and make sure that they silenced the people. So Madiba then went through his, his trial then. And, and I think we're reminding ourselves of that uh, 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 legacy. But we're also le- reminding ourselves of Madiba, the military guy, mm. uh, the person who would go out and say, what do we need to do to, to, to ensure that we speed up change? Mm. So that part of his uh, legacy, we try to forget for one reason or another. And, and I think it's important that we remind ourselves that that legacy is just as important as the legacy of Madiba, the later legacy of Madiba. In other mm. words, that mm. uh, him being the first commander-in-chief of, uh, of Umkonto Esizo needs to be something that we celebrate as much. But also the third part of that legacy is Madiba, the constitutional being, the person who believed in the values that are in our constitution, who observed those values and who who responded um, whenever that call was made for him to respond in terms of the constitution. The one who would mm. go to, to even court to present himself in mm. court whenever there was a need for, for him to do so. Mm. So all these are, are, are the, 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 the parts of a whole. In other words, we shouldn't just uh, always just concentrate on one part and think that that was the man. Um, he was more complex than that. Mm. There's a lot of questions post his, um, you know, uh, post his death about the vacuum of leadership in the country. And it almost like shows us the prowess and the hugeness of his personality in that how big was this personality? We know that he was also a big icon, even on the international platform. Everyone seemed to be seeking leadership and coming in his direction. Yeah, the, the, um, that, that personality is, is an important one. And in fact, um, uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do is to uh, always live up to Madiba's uh, uh, reminder that he was not just one man doing all these things, but that there was a collective. There were many women who sacrificed a lot for us to get to where we were, just as many as were men that were also part of that. And I think our, our, our greatest fault in terms of how we look at leaders is that we tend to concentrate on one person and think that 
either they are the pers- the people who dis- mm. are destroying or they are the builders, the mm. only builders. Mm. Instead of thinking there's a whole collective behind the leader. And if things can happen with that leader, it means that the collective has allowed those things to happen. Mm. Um, so if, if uh, Madiba, for example, for him to be who he is today, um, it's because uh, the ANC made the call that he would be the face mm. of that struggle. Free Mandela was uh, the, 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 the creating a face to the struggle of many who were in prison at the time. Mm. So it, it was not just him. Yes, he served the longest to 27 years, but there were many others who were there. Mm. And that's why it was just a, a creating a face that we must never forget that the individual does not necessarily cause the destruction alone or cause the 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 building alone mm. our final question what also made him significant is acknowledging the other um, this idea of humanity was a theme especially post uh, robin island that he carried along with them most of the time when you saw him in the streets when people were huddling around him, he acknowledged them. And that kind of leadership is, is very rare, that seeing the other, seeing the other religion, seeing the other person, seeing different people of different sorts of races and uh, backgrounds was one of his central themes when you saw his life post-Robin Island. Precisely. And in fact, uh, um, when one uh, think of uh, that kind of legacy, you, you then have to acknowledge the role of others. And, and I think uh, um, if Madiba can teach us one thing is that there needs to always be a reminder that uh, the, the, um, it, we, we need to build more solidarity. Um, that solidarity goes beyond religion, that it goes beyond gender. It goes beyond just uh, um, uh, uh, the, the, the creation of um, the big man syndrome, mm. as it were, that you can have just one figure. But that we, we must always just remind ourselves that there's, there's, uh, there, there, there are greater things beyond um, that need us to just go back to that solidarity. That the Constitution, in its very uh, uh, beginning, says to us we need to be uh, a people who mm-hmm. are always thinking of ourselves as a whole. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, uh, keep doing the great work uh, as the Nelson Mandela Foundation and carrying that flag of uh, the legacy of Nelson Mandela. Thank you so much, Benjamin, and uh, thanks to the listeners. Fantastic. That is the voice of uh, Silo Hatang, who is the CEO of uh, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, giving us his insights there on uh, just, uh, you know, what does it also mean carrying this foundation and symbolically what it means right now to bear this legacy as a country, as South Africa, bear the name of Nelson Mandela today. We know that he passed away on this particular day, so right here on uh, Africa, African Dialogue, we're honoring the man himself. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Let's take a quick break, and now we'll move on to see the legacy of Nelson Mandela. The launch last week was the Nelson Mandela Children's uh, uh, Hospital. It was launched last week. It boasts high-tech of uh, health care uh, facilities for children. So we'll be speaking to the Nelson Mandela uh, Hospital Fund right now just to see what they're up to and what this launch actually means. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. 
If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
sounds of uh, Himasikela from South Africa. Great trumpeter, great singer. Uh, just also was an anti-apartheid uh, man in his uh, reflections, actually how he was also exiled himself. Today we are honoring uh, Nelson Mandela. The 5th of December is the day that uh, he passed away. And we're looking at his legacy. And now we're crossing uh, to uh, the Nelson Mandela, um, uh, really looking at the idea of uh, the recently uh, launched uh, hospital. That's the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital and we're speaking to the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital Trust and we're speaking to their media and communications officer uh, Vuyo Lutzek. Vuyo, how are you? It's great to see that uh, the hospital has been launched uh, finally. I know we've been following it up here on Channel Africa. How was the launch? Yes, thank you Benjamin. The launch was incredible. It was such a you know, a combination of, as you're saying, many years of work and, and just finally to see us now celebrating a completed building um, and obviously in time with um, commemorating Matiba's um, three years since Matiba has, has passed, it really was um, quite an incredible and emotional event actually for, for all of us involved. Well, this is a fantastic facility, isn't it? Because it boasts so much uh, possibilities. I know the facility currently is going to have 10 theatres, 200 beds. There's high tech in terms of much needed uh, technology in uh, the Gauteng as well. But, you know, what's interesting for me is, uh, you know, the idea that uh, the hospital also embodies the legacy of the man Nelson Mandela. How does it do that, uh, Vuyo? Absolutely. I mean, we all know how much Matiba loved um, children. That was one thing that, you know, after Robin Island, he, he always um, had a very strong affinity to children because the entire time he was in prison, obviously he never interacted with children much. And to have this hospital firstly, um, having been really his final wish for us to, you know, to look at children's health care and look at what it is that we can do to make it better and to have this entire building that, yes, on, on the... On the technical side, we are making sure we've got the best in medicine, the best in equipment for our children. Mm. But then we also want a child to still feel like a child while they're in this hospital, you know. So we, we really spent a lot of time in, in deciding what the environment was going to feel like and finding ways in, in, of bringing in the Matiba ethos. Um, for example, our hospital, um, if a child gets referred there and they're referred, um, you know, to the appropriate um, um, channels, once they need the care that we give. If they cannot afford to pay, they do not have to pay or the parents do not have to pay because we know that for the most part, 80% of our patients at this hospital are going to be public patients who really need the care that we provide. So that for us is, you know, we could not embody the big man's name and then, you know, have it be an exclusive facility. That's not how we work. Mm. Uh, But on top of that as well is having really a lot of landscaping and garden space for Mm. children, parents, and staff to be able to take the time to, you know, to to refresh their minds and their energy and and to really, um, you know, find a way to just unwind a little bit before they can actually go back to, to the work of treating the children. Mm. Now, um, and then find, sure, go, on, go, on. Go, go ahead, Vuyo. Give me that final sentiment. Yes, and the final one, I think, is, again, bringing back the childlikeness of the environment. You know, when you come to a hospital, it's a very bright and vibrant environment where children are still children, as I mentioned earlier, and we're giving mm. them, you know, playgrounds and mm. books and many ways to engage with the environment around them because they are the core focus of what you're going to be doing at the hospital. Now, how significant is the Nelson Mandela's Children's Hospital in terms of, uh, not just in the country, but I know it also sees things from a SADC region perspective as well. 
Yes, for us, um, you know, when you're looking at how um, the, the shortages in pediatric healthcare, mm. we knew from, from the beginning that it was not just about what was going to happen inside our building, but how to build capacity throughout the entire region. So there are basically four different areas that we're doing this in. Uh, firstly, with our training of doctors and nurses, um, when you don't have enough facilities, you don't have enough skills to work in the facilities. And in preparing for opening a hospital, we actually have been training nurses and doctors to specialize in these um, centers that we're going to be specializing in at the hospital. So that's the first time because once they get back, even if eventually they're not working at our hospital, they will have the skills to really make a difference throughout the region, you know. Um, And secondly, technology has been important to us with what we call telemedicine, where if you're having a surgery in one of our eight major theaters mm-hmm. in the hospital, we can broadcast it to not only the region, but really anywhere in the world for mm-hmm. anyone to not only watch it, but also learn from it. Well, um, sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, so what's going to happen now? When is it going to start to officially open? Is it already functioning or are children going in now? What does this launch mean? When is going to be officially opened and start functioning, getting doctors in there, seeing it all in action? Mm. So our event was, you know, celebrating the bricks and mortar phase. Sure. So the building is done. Our equipment is about 90% in. Great. We are, you know, we, we're going along. Um, the next phase for us is really to focus on the people side of the building. Okay. We have started our um, recruitment of senior management. Uh, we are now recruiting the, the, the rest of the staff as well. And I invite anyone to visit our website to look at what uh, vacancies are available right now at the hospital. Mm. And the people phase um, is going to take a, a couple of months because once you have your staff in, mm. we have to be really realistic in that it takes about two months to mm. train staff when you've got top-of-the-line equipment, mm. top-of-the-line building and everything mm. in mm. it. So then we are looking at we're starting with our outpatient department um, with the patients uh, around April, May of 2017, second quarter of 2017. Okay, fantastic. It's great speaking to you. We are really excited you. for you guys to see things uh, lifting off. And so speedily indeed, it has not taken that long for such a state-of-the-art facility to actually now see it functioning. It is a fantastic feat. Congratulations to you guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for your support as well, uh, for Channel Africa support. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That is Vuyo uh, Luceke, uh, who is the media and communications officer, joining us there from the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital Trust. That's our program today, looking at uh, Nelson Mandela honoring him somewhere. His legacy is one that is still unfolding. Uh, conversations and notions around Mandela still continuing how we define the man himself. But we're going to move on right now. It's 11.46 Central African time. Let's quickly move on to our business. News with Wisani Matebula. Good morning, thanks Benjamin. Kenyan Airways is experiencing some disruptions to its flight schedules after an undisclosed number of technicians failed to show up for work. This is the latest in a series of labor-related hiccups to face the airline. Kenyan Airways did not say how many technicians stayed away from work or what had prompted them to stay away from work. 
Egypt has sharply raised custom duties on more than 300 goods to 60% for many items to encourage domestic production and curb a ballooning trade deficit. This part of a broader government effort to reform the ailing economy. The finance ministry says the tariff increases on 320 categories of goods target manufactured products that are also made locally, such as carpets, ceramics and cosmetics. Tariffs on carpets doubled to 60% from 30%. The Economics Association of Zambia says it's getting the sense that there is growing uncertainty in the economy in view of the presidential petition before the Constitutional Court. The association's president, Crispin Mpuga, says this is mainly because the direction of the Constitutional Court process will take it's not known. Mpuga says the longer the court processes takes, the more it will affect the country's ability to attract investments. Glencoe is still keeping the zinc market guessing over when the company will reactivate its 500,000 tons of idle mine capacity. Since the Swiss commodities powerhouse first announced its intention to mothball about 4% of global capacity in October last year, the London zinc price has risen. Zinc has been on the same Chinese price roller coaster as the rest of the metal complex in recent days. Some commodities news now. The oil prices have fallen by 1% as a higher U.S. rig count unsettled markets amid nagging concern that output cuts planned as part of a conceited action between producer club OPEC and uh, Russia might not be as big as initially anticipated. Brent crude features are trading at 53.89 U.S. dollars per barrel. West Texas intermediate crude futures are also at 51.49 dollars per barrel. Now a general look at the picture of the market uh, this morning as uh, the morning comes to a close. We're heading into midday in South Africa. The dollar at 13.78 South African rents, 10.62 Botswana Pula and 9.72 Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.78 to the British pound and 0.93 against the euro. Now commodities gold $1,176, platinum $925 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $53.97 per barrel, which is a jump of about almost 4% uh, with uh, the price of Brent crude oil. That's how it's looking right now. Figure Lingwati will be standing by with the latest in your sports news. Now, sports update this hour, starting off with football news. In a startling move, suspended Bafana Bafana coach Sheikh Mashaba is offered to walk on condition his employers give him a handsome handshake. However, his bosses at the South African Football Association suffer are having none of it as they feel they have a watertight case. Mashaba was suspended by Safa after a touchline rent that followed Bafana's 2-1 victory over Senegal in a 2018 World Cup qualifier at Peter Mukaba Stadium in South Africa's Limpopo province on the 12th of November. Safa spokesperson Dominic Chimhavi confirmed that the hearing could not proceed on Thursday last week because Mashaba's lawyers asked for more time to familiarize themselves with the case. 
And the final round of the matches in Brazil's top soccer league have been postponed after a deadly plane crash last week killed more members of the Chapoquins soccer team. The crash killed 71 of 77 people on board the chartered plane, including 19 players as the team was enjoy, enjoying a Cinderella season. The aircraft departed from Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Chapoquins president Palauro was buried on Sunday as fans paid their final tributes to victims of the crash trying to put behind them the worst moment in the club's history and one of the worst in the history of the sport. Palauro was on the plane when it went down as the club was traveling to Colombia to play the first of two games to determine the Copa Sudamericana champion, the number two club tournament in Latin America. In Brazil, the deceased players have been honored at Chapoque Stadium with burials taking place across the country. Retired Argentine star Juan Roman Requelm and Brazil's Ronaldinho have offered to come out of retirement to help the club. And in athletics, sprint legend Usain Bolt of Jamaica and distance running star Almaz Ayana of Ethiopia have been named 2016 IAAF World Athletes of the Year following their phenomenal performances. Our correspondent Geshom Nyati reports. Usain Bolt was nominated World Best Athlete of the Year for a record six times. He won the award for the first time in 2008, then 2009, 2011, 2012 and 2013. The Jamaican who will go down as one of the greatest athletes of all time was chosen ahead of two Olympic champions, Wade Vanikek of South Africa and Mo Farah of Great Britain. Vanikek won 400 meters gold in a world record time, while Mo Farah secured an amazing double in the 5,000 and 10,000 meters. Nonetheless, Usain Bolt, a triple Olympic gold medalist in the 100, 200 and 4 by 100 meter relay, was adjudged the best athlete. Nobody else could have won the women's accolade other than Almazi Ayana. She became the third Ethiopian woman to win the award following the tracks of Meseret Tifa in 2007 and Baba just last year. Ayana ran the world fastest time in her debut in the 10,000 meters in June. She sealed it off with an Olympic gold medal and a world record at the Rio Games in Brazil. Ayana was also this year's world quickest athlete in the 3,000 and 5,000 meters where she won a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. Geshom Nyati, Channel of Sports, London. And despite failing to win the IAAF Male World Athlete of the Year Award, Wayne Fanikerk is delighted with his 2016 season. Fanikerk, who set a 400-meter world record of 43.03 seconds to win the Olympic gold in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil in August, paid credit to Bolt. It's definitely been a, uh, a blessed season for myself, uh, an amazing year of growth, amazing um, confidence booster, if I could put it that way, because I mean, um, I, I feel I've been growing year after year, and at the same time, sitting at the wards, um, looking at the, the, the meaning of the, the evening, it's, it's, it's a bit bittersweet, knowing that a legend like you said, Bart is at the verge of, 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 of retiring, I mean, he's someone that we all found so much motivation and inspiration from and, and, and he's close to retiring so it's, it's a bit sad but at the same time it opens up so much doors for us to believe in, in or for me to believe in myself to, to go out there and, and, and put the best weight out there that I can. That's your Sport News this hour.
Well, that's how we wrap up our program for today. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us on our Facebook page, Channel Africa, so you can join us. The family is getting bigger there, so it's great to see the growth of that page over the last uh, year or so. It's been fantastic to see all the support from our fellow Africans all over the continent who have been part of the Channel Africa uh, family on Facebook. Remember, we're also on Twitter, at Channel Africa 1, that's our handle, or at uh, African Dialogue, that's another handle you can follow. Well, until tomorrow, that's me, Benjamin Mushatama. God bless.